And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of God shone all around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts host appeared with an angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and the, on earth peace to men on whom his favored rest. When the angels had left them and gone to, into the heaven, the sh- the heavens, the shepherds said to another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has, the Lord has told us about. Christmas is here. A time when the star, like no other, cut through the night. The radiance that led a group of magi to where the king of the Jews was born. A time when the glory of God dispelled the darkness of light as an angel came and announced to the shepherds the good news of great joy. Christmas is a time when heaven touched earth. It's the time when Emmanuel was born. God with us. We see it in the proclamation of the chorus of angels who come to the shepherds and say, Glory to God in the highest... And on earth, peace among those in whose God's good pleasure rests. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace. Christmas is about heaven touching earth. Brandon has done a masterful job on Sunday mornings, unfolding and showing us the ramifications of what God's coming on earth has meant for all generations. And tonight I want to piggyback on him and turn our eyes to the heavens and to the angelic perspective and what Christmas means in the heavenlies and what it said to the angels. Let's pray. Our Father... We cannot enter into the heavenlies, but heaven has entered earth with the coming of our Savior, but with the proclamation of these angels. We pray, Lord, by your spirit, we might just get a a little glimpse and a peephole into the heavenlies today, that we might see what the angels see, feel what they felt as they came to the shepherds in their fields that night. Amen. Perched in the heavenlies, the angels have 
a very different vantage point than we have. One that gives them such a greater understanding of Christmas than any of us could ever imagine. For their understanding is not only matured by the longevity of the span of years they live, which is a lot longer than ours, but also by the closeness that they have to God himself. Untainted, their vision is, by personal sin. So, do we really understand how much a greater view the angels have than we have? And how we should really listen to what they're saying? Because it is so much clearer and fuller than any grasp we could get from our earthly vantage point. You know, the difference in their understanding and ours and what they value and what we value, I began to understand in a children's message that I gave. I brought the children down once and I made an offer to them. And I had a, a really shiny matchbox car. And I said, this morning I will give you your choice. You could have this matchbox car or I will pay for your college education. <laughs> Every child chose the car. <laughs> it was a legitimate offer because I knew they would choose the car. <laughs> because they were three and four years old. This year, I asked the third and fourth graders, if you had that choice between this shiny car and a college education, what would you choose? And I didn't make that offer. I just asked them what they would have chosen. They all said unanimously, the college education. <laughs> you see what just a few years difference makes in the, our entire value system and what's important to us? And that message said to me, that we humans are so limited, we don't value what God and the angels value in heaven. So tonight I would like to just see if we can get a little bit of that angelic perspective. And so the, the story goes, one angel came to the shepherds, and the glory of God surrounded that angel. And it says when the shepherds saw that, they were terrified. One of the versions says they were extremely frightened. In fact, you can't describe terror in a greater way than the Greek puts it in that passage. They weren't just a little afraid. They were completely terrified. Why? because they had come into the presence of the glory of God. Now, I'm not sure our generation gets that at all. Because today, we've really diminished the glory of God and the holiness of God. We've made a lot, and rightly so, about the love of God. But that seems to have so surpassed the holiness of God that nobody even thinks about that today. But see, that's something that happens on our limited earth. It is not so in the heavenlies. Isaiah chapter 6 gives us a picture of 
One little scene in heaven. And it says, the glory of God is on the throne and his robe fills the temple and there's angels all around him singing, holy, holy, holy. But you know, these angels in the presence of God had to shield their eyes with their wings. Because even though these perfect and holy angels, even though they were perfect, they had to shield their eyes from the holiness and glory of God. What would we have to do in God's presence? Well, the shepherds, unlike the angels, even unlike Isaiah, because in that same passage, when Isaiah beheld that vision, and this is, Isaiah is, is the most faithful prophet probably in all of history. He went to his death as a martyr. When he saw the holiness of God, he said, Woe is me, I am ruined, for I am a man of sinful lips. Now, you can imagine if an Isaiah felt that way, what these humble shepherds who were known culturally for their sin and their deception. In fact, they were so labeled in their society that their testimony in a court of law, was inadmissible. So you can imagine what these shepherds felt when they behold the glory of God. They are terrified like every one of us should be terrified in the presence of a holy God because we have a sin that is despicable in his eyes. The shepherds knew that and they shook. But what's interesting is how the angels came And their first words were, fear not. They wanted to assuage the fear and the terror that was in the shepherds. And, you know, that says to me they had tremendous compassion on those shepherds. And, you know, when I think about that, I really wonder why they had that compassion. Because these are angels who have been in the presence of the glory of God ever since their creation. They are completely and totally about God. They are passionately in love with him. They glorify him day and night. They live for his glory. And so when he watched them create the world and create humanity, they rejoiced, they sang in the heavenlies. But can you imagine what they felt when they saw humanity not only turn their back on God, but raise their fists in rebellion against him and create their own gods out of wood that a a gust of wind could knock them over, to honor and worship and praise false gods, to lift themselves up and say, I will be like God, I will be like the Most High, to disregard him in decision after decision and to destroy his creation, to tarnish the very image of God that we were made to be? What would lovers of God feel as they watched that happen? I would imagine they would line up to say, do you need an angel of wrath? I'll be first in line. Because their love 
Their regard for the glory of God was so great. So I wonder, why, why do they feel such compassion? Why, why do they have this sense of joy in God visiting these rebellious creatures? And the only answer I have is they caught it from God himself. You know, the, the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians, when you spend time with God, you become like him. So you can imagine the angels who spent time with God, how, how that glory, that reflected glory, not only shines through them, but the character of God gets imprinted upon them. There is no reason they would feel compassion for us except that they lived in the presence of a compassionate God who responded to our rebellion with love. And so they joyfully came and they tried to assuage the fears. And the shepherd's response was right. We should shake in the presence of a holy God. But the angels had very special news for them. That isn't what you need to do tonight. Because God is, as much as you deserve it, God is not coming to earth with judgment this evening. Not upon you. He's coming to bring you a savior from that judgment that you so fully deserve. Do not be afraid, for today in the city of David is born to you a savior. He is the Christ, the one you have been waiting for. And he is the Lord himself. God has come, not to terrorize you, but to relieve every terror you ever felt, every fear you had. A Savior has been born to you. And then the, the chorus of angels came, and they sang, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those whom God's good pleasure rests. Peace on earth. The Hebrew word for peace is shalom. You probably know it, shalom, you've heard that. But shalom, is that word is much richer than simply saying peace. In a nutshell, that word means that everything is as it ought to be. Your hearts tell you what ought to be. They tell you there, there shouldn't be agony and pain. There shouldn't be sickness and death. There shouldn't be relationships torn apart and families rent. Love should rule. Peace between people. Peace within ourselves to be at rest with ourselves. That's the way life ought to be. And the angels are saying, this child has come to bring a peace, to make this world, to make the universe what it ought to be, what it meant, always was meant to be. Of course, we look at that and say, well, what happened? Well, Jesus knew. He said to, to us, there will be wars and rumors of wars. 
that peace is not going to take. And it isn't because Jesus failed. It's because we haven't received that peace. But he sent in this child, in this Savior, the seed out of which that kind of peace will ultimately come to fruition when he returns. But it is a peace that it offered to each one of us. We can't control the peace of what's going around, on around us. But by the reception of Jesus Christ and by living close to Jesus Christ, we can have peace within ourselves. You see, Hark the Herald Angel Sings captures it. Hark the Herald Angel Sings. Glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy mild. God and sinner reconciled. That's the peace that God offers. A peace without fear to stand in the presence of God. A peace that allows an intimacy with God face to face. A peace that finally allows us to be at rest within ourselves, where we don't have to hide ourselves from ourselves, where we could be naked and unashamed, as the Bible puts it. And that kind of peace, when we have that, we can live in peace with one another because we don't need to trump one another. We don't need anything from one another. For we have it all from God. We don't need to battle one another because we are secure in who we are in God. That's the peace, the shalom they sing of. And so these angels who have the reflected compassion of God himself say, you don't need to fear because we bring you good news of exceedingly great joy. A Savior has been born. Peace on earth. And glory to God in the highest. And as much as those angels were excited and thrilled about the fact that peace, the seed of peace, had been planted on earth, I believe that they had a greater joy in the first words. Glory to God in the highest. They love God. They have always treasured his glory. And they are saying now, you guys get to have a glimpse of glory the way we see it. But it's interesting, he doesn't say glory to God on the earth and peace on earth. And I don't really quite know why he doesn't say that. He says, glory to God in the highest. And I think in part it's because we're never going to really on earth understand that glory till the Lord comes a second time. But I think also there is an excitement for themselves. The angelic realm that lives in the highest is going to see a glory of God unlike the glory they've already beheld. And, and they're overwhelmed by that glory. They can't even, they have to cover their eyes, right? But they realize now a glory, a greater glory is about to be revealed. Peter put it this way. When he talked about the plan of redemption, he said, the things in which angels long to look, they've been bending over those clouds 
looking down, waiting for this moment when God's plan of redemption begins in this world. You see, there's a particular glory of God that they saw in hints that we get to see as we look at creation. The psalmist said it this way, the heavens declare the glory of God and the earth is full of his glory. And so there's much in the glory of God that we see from an earthly vantage point. When you look at the stars and you count the billions of galaxies of stars, we go, wow, look at the power and the majesty of this God. When we go inward and look at the intricacies of the atom, we're bowled over by the vast dimensions, the omnipresence of God out there and so in here. And we are knocked over by his omniscience, the fact that he absolutely knows everything. And by his wisdom that put life together so beautifully and perfectly by his love that provided everything for us, by his goodness in his care. There is so much in the glory of God. We could spend all of our time just praising God for what we see about him through creation. But this is a glory that's greater than that. For there are certain depths of qualities of God that we cannot see until the Savior comes. Oh yes, we can see the holiness of God. The angels are shielding themselves. The the holiness of God is so great before the Savior has come. But do we understand the holiness of God fully until we see what had to be paid so God could maintain his holiness and embrace us? God is so holy that one of our sins to be forgiven would demand the death of God himself. We look around our world and often we say, where is justice? It's hard to to grasp a God of justice. In fact, we say, why if God is loving and we might as well put just in there, Does he allow such evil on the earth? Shouldn't there be payback? And how often we become upset when we see a vicious criminal get a slap on the wrist by a judge. And we want to be able to vote the judges out. And we're wondering where justice is. And do we have a God who is just? And the answer is found on the cross. We have a just God. See, we have a God who loves us so much. He loves us passionately. He wants us. He created us for a relationship, and he would do absolutely anything to have that relationship with us. But the one thing he can't do is simply say, your sin doesn't matter. I'm going to accept you and embrace you and receive you in in your sin because it doesn't matter because that is not a just God. That is not a holy God. But again, God shows his justice in that every sin, every act of rebellion, every act of separation against each other, every crime 
was taken and paid for in full by the Savior on the cross. Do we see the grandeur of God's wisdom? As I said, he loves us, but he can't embrace us because of our sin. What does he do? He comes up with a perfect plan. My holiness says there will be a penalty for sin paid. My justice demands a death. But my love is so great, I will step down into humanity. I will take that sin. I will take the blows. I will take the punishment. As Paul says, so God could be just and the justifier of those who believe in him. Do we see the vastness of his love and what he has done in his grace and goodness? See, we, it is the plan of redemption unfolded that begins on Christmas that we see the glory of God. But we see the glory of God not just in his character, but God's glory is shown in our reception of what God is doing for us. John Piper said, God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in him. Do you get that? God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in him. You know, many times I preach Christmas sermons about it. I said, you know, it's funny that you have Christmas because it's Jesus' birthday, but who gets the presents? Doesn't make sense, right? We get the presents. We didn't give them to Jesus, so the sermon goes, give Jesus a present. And I got all sorts of ideas to give him a present. But it was later when I got it, it says, you know, the greatest present to Jesus is to receive his present to us. God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in him. God is more glorified in us receiving and allowing what God is offering in the cross to penetrate our lives. Because when we really allow that peace with God to rule in our lives, God is glorified. Because we don't deserve that peace. When we are infused by the hope, in the darkest of moments we are infused by the hope that the cross has brought for eternal life, God is glorified. When we find our security in our home, our identity in the love of God, he is glorified. The angels await not just the display of God's glory through what he has done, but in the unfolding of his glory in our reception of what he has done. Do you want to glorify God this evening? Receive his Christmas presence and all that he offers in the cross. Receive that love. That love that we all long for. It's in the songs of every generation. Those love songs that we think we're going to find somewhere in people, but if you really pay attention to those words... As sincerely as they are sung and written. 
We know they can never be fulfilled. They never reach their promises. Except in the love of God. Uh, One song hit me the other day. It's from the 60s. Petula Clark, you all remember her, right? It goes like this. My love is warmer than the warmest sunshine, softer than a sigh. My love is deeper than the deepest ocean, wider than the sky. My love is brighter than the brightest star that shines every night above. And there's nothing in this world that can ever change my love. That's beautiful, really. The tune wasn't so great, but it's beautiful words. Do you think she could live up to that? Do you think you could live up to that? But you know, our hearts resonate with that. But there is one who can say this to us. And we can believe it. That's Jesus Christ. He can say, my love is warmer than the warmest sunshine. Softer than a sigh. My love is deeper than the deepest ocean. Wider than the sky. My love is brighter than the brightest star that shines every night above. There's nothing in this world that can ever change my love. The Apostle Paul said it this way, there is nothing that can separate you from the love of God that is Jesus Christ. No height, no depth, no width, no breadth, not life or death, nor angels, nor principalities, nothing can separate you from the love of God that's found in Christ Jesus. Receive that tonight. Your hearts cry out for it. It is offered to you in Christ. Well-known preacher Charles Haddon Spurgeon spoke to a 19th century audience on this passage and the angels. And he said this, When the angels were first created, their very first breath was a song. So when they saw God create new worlds, their songs received another note. They rose a little higher in the scale of adoration, and no doubt their songs gathered force as they watched God's hand at work through the ages. But this time, when they saw God stoop from his throne and become a baby, they lifted their notes still higher. In reaching to the utmost stretch of angelic music, they gained the highest notes of divine scale of praise and they sung glory to God in the highest for they felt that God's goodness could not go any higher. Thus they gave to him their highest praise for the highest act of his divinity. When we see Christmas as it truly is through the eyes of the angels. We will welcome the words, peace on earth, but we will treasure the words, glory to God in the highest. Our Father, we thank you, not just for a message that we talk about tonight, but the reality of these truths. You became man. You sent your son. You demonstrated your love for us.
by not only becoming man, you demonstrated your love that while we were yet sinners, Christ came for us and died for us. This is love to your glory. Amen.